We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Think you're smart, huh? <laughs> the guy that hired Hughes, they just do the same to you. Oh, criminals in this town used to believe in things. Honor. Respect. Look at you. What do you believe in, huh? What do you believe in? I believe whatever doesn't kill you simply makes you stranger. Welcome to another edition of Final Review, The Dark Knight, the 2008 epic from Christopher Nolan, the middle of the Dark Knight trilogy, and one of the greatest superhero movies of all time. But is it one of the greatest movies of all time? Buckle up, everybody. We have a great show for you. Joining me, as always, to break it all down, Mr. Bernard Ozrowski, Oz. Why so serious? Because I may not agree with everything you just said in the <laughs> intro right there. It's perhaps why I'm so serious right now. But uh, no, it's a pleasure to be here, as always. Uh, very excited for what might be a feistier episode than what our, our listeners are used to. So I, I think you heard from the first episode just how knowledgeable and how passionate about the industry Oz can be and how extensive his knowledge is as well. And it's something I've come to know because I know his feelings on the Dark Knight, which is why I figured let's get this episode <laughs> up front and out of the way in the beginning. And there's a couple of reasons why we're doing this second on this. First of all, we're recording this episode almost immediately after we just saw another superhero movie. Shang-Chi just came out this past weekend. And the difficulty in talking about the Dark Knight in reference to the most recent superhero movie, I guess not necessarily the difficulty, but the coincidence is that if we just wanted to wait a month or two, there'd be another superhero movie that would come out. And then if we want to wait a month after that, there's another superhero movie that has come out. But it it somewhat starts this domination of the industry starts in 2008, which featured obviously Iron Man, the first movie in the MCU. And this movie, The Dark Knight. Now, obviously, I said this is the second in the Nolan trilogy. So Batman Begins had come out. But is it safe to say, Oz, that something changed specifically this year when it came to superhero movies and the quality we would now come to expect from them? 
I think there are really two bellwether moments in superhero movies. The first is in 2000 when X-Men comes out and it's the first time that uh, it's treated with the sort of big budget, uh, big budget effect that you start to see in superhero movies. Now, before that, it was a lot of things, you know, Blade, Spawn, stuff like that for a one-off or stuff like the older version of Superman, which was this, you know, very big pop culture event, but not quite a superhero nerd culture sort of thing. And I think 2008 is really the second year where things shift. You you mentioned, of course, Iron Man and Dark Knight, which are the big ones, but that year also sees Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, Incredible Hulk comes out right around then. You you just have a a real push of these things starting to pick up, pick up steam very, very quickly there. Uh, and Dark Knight obviously did otherworldly box office business. And all of a sudden, every studio on earth needed to get themselves their own superhero movie. I mean, you mentioned the box office. We should go through the qualifications for this episode. It's a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, so it hits that. The Oscars, it had eight nominations and two wins. Do you know the two wins, Oz? Uh, Well, one of them was obviously Heath Ledger, and the other one, it's a technical one. I'm going to go with sound. Let's say sound editing. Sound editing, correct. So this is a movie that won awards. Not only was just nominated for awards, and you mentioned the box office. Um, over $500 million domestically, leading to $1.5 billion worldwide. You know, we frame this as a superhero movie. And the reason that this episode is going to be interesting is because it appears and like the Oscars are, are a fascinating prism to look at this through. It appears that there has been an emphasis to take this movie and as a result, superhero movies seriously, that the term superhero movie bullshit, which we'll just behind the scenes when we both saw Shang-Chi this weekend, both of our reviews were that was kick ass. That was a lot of fun. Superhero bullshit aside. And what that means is like there's a whole segment in Hong Kong that doesn't really make sense. There's an entire section with Harvey Dent where he should be dead because half his face is missing. But does it make sense? And the Joker, his whole thing is like, do I look like a guy with a plan? Yet an entire hospital was rigged with explosives and (laughs) blows up. So like the moment you have to start excusing the poppycock that's throughout the movie, then, you know, you kind of turn your brain off and you can appreciate some of the themes that are in the movie. But this is make believe. This is not real life. But. The way this movie has been regarded, it's like we're supposed to not ignore that and put it up there with the the Citizen Canes and the Goodfellas and some of the more prestige movies. Um, are you able to take some of the superhero bullshit and not factor it in when evaluating this against some of the greatest movies of all time and not just the greatest superhero movies? I mean, I don't want to get too far ahead of uh, too far ahead of myself on where the scores are going. But the, mm-hmm. the simple answer to your question is this is a superhero movie for me. I, I have a great many um, quibbles with the structure of the film, especially in the last third. I think it it very badly falls prey to all sorts of superhero bullshit. And as a result, I mean, it's just not as thematically for me satisfying or fulfilling as, you know, The Godfather Part Two or something like that. If we want to look at other great sequels there, there's an awful lot of buy in required here and an awful lot of 
ignoring stuff that doesn't necessarily hold up to scrutiny. And I don't I don't just mean this is a fictional world. Of course it is. It, it, that's fine. There are thematic inconsistencies as far as I'm concerned. There are character motivations that seem uh, guided less by the story that Christopher Nolan is telling and a lot more by, you know, decades of comic lore. And he I mean, the cast in this movie that that no one gets to command, like the fact that Morgan Freeman is just a throwaway, like his Lucius Fox is just like the guy that works on gadgets Like Gary Oldman. Like I just named two Oscar winners. Gary Oldman is Commissioner Gordon in this movie, like the absurdity of some of the things, some of the lines that these prestigious, well-acclaimed actors get to read. It's cool. And it's it adds a respect to these movies and ends up where you get like Robert Redford in a Captain America movie. And it's not weird anymore. You're able to accept that these movies are going to start getting better. And for me, at least personally, it started when I start to see movies like this. And it was like, oh, so these types of movies can be really good. I haven't said his name yet, but you know, a lot of it has to do with the fact that despite the superhero bullshit and the quibbles that we're going to go through in this movie, it's elevated by the fact that it has one of the greatest on-screen performances of all time from Heath Ledger. And every single thing he does, every single choice he makes, every single scene that he is in, he steals it. Did he change? Because we have a category that's two categories that's dedicated to him. Did he change at least superhero villains for you going forward? I think that he what he did is bring an extra level of respect among his peers within the industry to this sort of genre work. We've seen other nominees actually in superhero movies. Jack Nicholson was nominated for playing the Joker uh, in 19 in the Tim Burton 1989 Batman. But I, I think this is the first time it was treated as something real. It was the first time it was treated as something serious that you know, viewers and critics and other actors buy into as legitimate craft as opposed to, I mean, I think even Jack Nicholson would probably admit that his performance is very shtick in, in the Burton movie. Uh, Le- what Ledger's doing here is really special. And I think you, you've also tapped into a, another important point. What happened in 2008 is legitimacy came for these superhero movies. If you look at X-Men, the cast is full of either people who aren't very good actors like the, the Famke Johnson sorts mm. um, and unknowns like at the time, Hugh Jackman. Here you have this movie with its killer cast, but even look at Iron Man, which has Gwyneth Paltrow. It has Jeff, it has Jeff Bridges. It has uh, then on the upswing, Terrence Howard, Incredible Hulk has Edward Norton and Tim Roth. It's just incre- like really impressive casts are being brought into these things. And I think that it goes both ways, of course, but I think having the right component actors helps elevate all of these things. Agreed. And this now can lead us into the categories. The fact that these movies can now be welcomed at award shows and more than just visual effects, you know, is, I mean, this is the year that the Academy Awards didn't have the Dark Knight, didn't even acknowledge Iron Man. And the next year was like, we need to change things because like, it's fine to recognize other movies, but we're now only recognizing movies that people don't see, which is like the Dark Knight making a billion dollars and then not getting recognized at the Oscars while being acknowledged by everybody else that this is 
like an industry standard the next year 10 nominee 10 nominees and you get something like avatar being nominated two years later you um, get something like like district nine yeah nominated toy story three is up there i mean it, the 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 shift to credible populist filmmaking that happened with the move to 10 nominees is is huge and unfortunately they changed all the rules again and now nobody has seen any of the nominees uh hopefully it gets fixed again this year with the change back to 10 but it's really the the there was a very smart push to try to make sure that the movie or two that all of the film going universe most appreciated uh was brought back into the mix as a result of the dark knight yeah before we get like we'll jump into the categories now but i just i I can't say enough heath ledger and how every single bad guy in a movie after 2008 changed for me because like the best part of every villain is at least my how i view it is i'm able to either appreciate or immediately write off a villain by their motivations and if like thanos i Yes, big purple CGI alien, but you see his motivation and you understand his reasoning. And as a result, he is a captivating character. And every bad guy in every movie that thinks they're the good guy is great, in my opinion. And then you go to Heath Ledger. And as much as the the, the nitpick that I just threw out of like, you don't have a plan, yet it seems a lot of the things you're setting up have a lot of plan. Somebody stacked that big pile of money, Joker. Um the agent of chaos. I just, I don't know necessarily how I would handle the fear of not knowing how to stop this person's motivation. Cause they're not trying to actually accomplish anything. They're just trying to disrupt the status quo, which adds an element to this movie that regardless of parts that I skip or parts that I ignore completely, when I rewatch it, every single Heath Ledger scene, I, I watch intensely and it's why it's him not in this movie i don't know if this movie gets mentioned in our podcast and with him in this movie it's the second movie we're doing i think it's appropriate i i think that's i think that's right on and look i think part of it is that you know like bullet time in the matrix something happens that's so good that it's done to death over and over and over again and we we see this exact sort of, it becomes a trope of the villain allows himself to get caught as sort of a chaos agent thing. They do it in with Cumberbatch in the Star Trek sequel. They do mm-hmm. it with Silva and Skyfall. Uh, it's just, it, it happens time and time again after. And I think in a way it almost diminishes the effect of seeing the Joker character the first time and seeing it all sort of come together. And I think there is a, an interesting conversation to be had about the balance of how much of the chaos is legitimate chaos and how much of the chaos is planned chaos. Is superhero bullshit. <laughs> superhero um, bullshit. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Batman has no jurisdiction. He'll find him and make him squeal. I know the squealers when I see them. And what do you propose? It's simple. We uh, kill the Batman. <laughs> if it's so simple, why haven't you done it already? If you're good at something, never do it for free. Are you ready to have that conversation, Oz? I am. Let's do it. So first and foremost, is The Dark Knight a top five Christopher Nolan film? Uh, this is a guy that... I mean, you would know better than me because of how much you know about this industry. Is he polarizing or is he one of the more highly regarded with very few detractors? I think that he is largely extremely well regarded. He's one of the few directors whose name all by itself is enough to put asses in seats. And that really says something in an era where we've seen movies devolve into it either has to have IP or it doesn't get made where no one shows up. Uh, it's it's really impressive that the Christopher Nolan brand, Tenet's performance notwithstanding, the Christopher Nolan brand is something that gets people to say, this is a movie I have to go see. Mm. And for whatever quibbles you may have about how he treats humans in his movies, and I, I think there are a great many, uh, it's clear that his craftsmanship is revered. Every single one of his movies ends up nominated for a ton of technical awards because it's just he cares so much about the craft of filmmaking. And he's an interesting second director to talk about after Fincher in episode one. We started with someone who is very deeply invested in humanity and in particular, a darker uh, more cynical read of people. We have someone who's so different now in Nolan who doesn't really care about the humanity and is so much more interested in the craft and artistry of film as a storytelling device. And I mean, you could see as he gets more control and less studio oversight, his characters don't even have names anymore. Jeff David Washington's character is called protagonist. Yeah. Tenet because that's, that's the role that that character serves. And it, look, it, it's, it's perhaps not always the most emotionally fulfilling sort of storytelling, but it certainly is impressive and bombastic and it puts asses in seats. And that's a good thing these days. So for me personally, I like a good character study. I like characters I can see myself in. I like being able to empathize with somebody else's situation going on on screen. Uh, Nolan does not, it appears. And it's why you know, the Dark Knight was easier for him to do because we bring in a preconceived or a, a prior attachment to Batman and the Joker and Rachel uh, because of the source material. And it's other movies like that where I guess maybe not necessarily like that, but it's movies where he does try to develop the character some that I appreciate more than others. And even some of his lower level work, you just hit it during the pandemic when all movie theaters were closed. As some were starting to open up, Tenet came out and went into theaters. And I drove two and a half hours to the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, to see it with my buddy by ourselves in an IMAX theater. OK, I was able to not wear a mask in August of 2020. And yet I wasn't crazy about the film the first time. And then thinking back, 
it's just cool set piece after another. And I'm able to appreciate like, okay, I had fun. I can't say it's bad, but it's almost as if the there's one line in every movie telling us quite literally why so serious intended. It's the don't think about it, feel it in the dark night. You almost wonder if why so serious subliminally, while it has nothing to do with what I'm talking about can be conceived as like, turn your brain off. This is, I'm supposed to, I'm going to dazzle you with something you're going to see on screen that you've never seen before. It seems as if at a certain point, his filmography went from like, I want to make good movies to like, I want to make cool shit. Where does the dark Knight fall on that timeline? So Nolan is a, is a, fascinating director for a lot of reasons. His background is, it's sort of the new Hollywood staple for how a lot of directors get there. Gone are the sort of old Quentin Tarantino era folks who worked in video stores and just decided to fart around with their friends and start making movies. I mean, I think Kevin Smith is filming Clerks 3, like 20 miles north of my house right now. Really? Yeah. But but, uh, there was sort of a generation of filmmakers and Nolan is the next generation, which is a group of folks who went to school with the idea that I want to make movies with the rest of my life. He, he studied to do this. He made shorts all through college and eventually it's, it's up here behind me from the criterion collection. Uh, he made following, which is a very low budget shot on the streets. People didn't even know they were in the background of it while he was filming it. It's like 65 minutes long. It's, it's good, but it's more where you start to see the talent coming across. And then Memento, it's a small budget, like a $4 million movie, but he managed to get a couple of on the up, on the rising actors, Guy Pierce, Carrie Ann Moss off the Matrix, and created this time-bending thriller that elevates what is a basic, simple story through the craft of editing. And his filmmaking is so integral to his editing and vice versa that it, it manages to craft drama out of what could be a, a manipulation into something that is very serious and effective. And he, from there, really took a path that I think is going to be common for a lot of directors over the last 10 years, which is he went into the studio system and made very big IP-based movies to prove himself and to earn the right to do whatever he wanted later. He made Insomnia, which was a remake of a European movie. I think it's quite good, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's not a Christopher Nolan joint. It is a, a remake of a European movie with some very famous people in it, Pacino, Robin Williams, and one of his most underrated performances. Mm-hmm. Hilary Swank still was a, when she was a star. And from there, he went to Batman. I mean, a franchise that had been a little underwater after uh, <laughs> certain decisions that were made in the prior installment and decided to take a more serious crack at it. And for for my money, I, I, I'm going to spoil my ranking a little here. I, Batman Begins is, I think, the most effective of the Nolan Batman trilogy, in part because he manages to take what has been so fucking ridiculous. This, the, I mean, the you, the bat nipples of George Clooney are, are just yeah, yeah, echoing, and and bring it to a grounded reality. And it's from Batman Begins that he continued the series into the Dark Knight, which is what really opened the door for him to do whatever he wanted going forward. And you see that with a lot of the Marvel folks. I mean, you. You go and make a couple of Black Panther movies so that people will give you $100 million to do whatever the hell you want when you, you've done your service to the MCU. I think it'll reflect in our top fives, though, as we get into this, 
um, what we appreciate more in his movies. So I'm knowing how you feel about the Dark Knight. I'm curious. Is the Dark Knight a top five Christopher Nolan movie? Oz? Dark Knight uh, to you. Not, <laughs> to it, you. It, it does not make my uh, my Christopher Nolan top five. OK, what does? So I'll I'll start at the top mm-hmm. um, one to five. I'll go one to five. So my number one is Dunkirk, which I think is just a, a masterful piece of film construction. I, I certainly couldn't uh, get upset with you if you questioned the humanity and said, you big, dumb hypocrite. Uh, you just said that you want humanity and Dunkirk doesn't have any, but I don't care. It's so masterfully constructed. It's really it's it. The editing is as good as it's as any movie that I've ever seen. It's propulsive and it's incredibly staggeringly impressive on an IMAX screen. It's his best piece of filmmaking. It's I spoiler. Alert, it's also not on my list. So you're going to do that to me with the Dark Knight. I'll do that to you with Dunkirk. However, it is his best piece of filmmaking. And I look, I think both of us would agree going through his filmography. I don't think he. OK, I shouldn't speak too soon. I think I was going to say I don't think he has a bad movie, but I, I do think there are movies we think are bad. I think consensus, though, he has nothing lower than a six or seven consensus. Maybe not to us, but consensus. Spoiler, we're never going to do Interstellar on this podcast. <laughs> um, so you have Dunkirk one, though, and I as much as I don't have it on my top five, I still agree. It's the best thing I've ever seen him do, if I could put it that way. Uh, my number Two is Inception, which I think is just a, a wonderful heist movie and a heist movie with a Bond movie in the in the Chewy Center. It's really it's it actually has some character beats to it. It's mm-hmm. also it's just really, really cool. All the performers are aces and it's it's fun in a way that, say, Interstellar gets away from. Um, it just feels like a sort of joyous celebration of blockbuster filmmaking. Yeah. And Inception will come up on this podcast. It's on my list, too. My my three is Batman Begins, which is, I think, the strongest, most human driven of the Nolan Batman trilogy. I think it's also the best work that Bale does in the series, which is perhaps my biggest quibble with The Dark Knight. Uh, and four for me is probably his least seen movie which is insomnia Mm. which is a small again character-driven study of a serial killer uh played by robin williams al pacino in one of his rare good last two decades story or last two decades performances thank you for clarifying Uh, last two decades last two decades are we getting us are we getting a pacino take from you no 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 young al pacino is as good as as good an actor as has ever lived okay good but uh one of his rare late career gems uh also a still good hillary swank is in there but that it's just a a great great character study with an excellent dark robin williams performance and the the fifth for me is memento which was his his Nolan's breakthrough movie, which tells it's again one of his obsessions, the timelines and the editing of you know how time and memory work together, and it just it's just a fantastic crime thriller. One thing we didn't say yet about Nolan is there's always a puzzle. There's always something that the first time you're watching his movies, you're trying to you're trying to solve the riddle. You're trying to figure out what has he 
concocted that you're going to try and figure out going forward. And a lot of that goes back to his first movie, the following or following, following. Um, then going into Memento. And it's why throughout his filmography, it I mean, not to use a term of a competitor, but rewatchability like fucking matters. You, the second time you see it, you're picking up. Oh, how did I miss that this time? And like this happened to me with Tenet, where the second time through, it made sense. Inception, I think I'll save most of my thoughts for when we do Inception, but I'm on like my my 20th rewatch. And I think every single time I've seen it, it's like, oh, I got it. Then the next time, nope, doesn't make sense now. And that's just that movie. Um, and it's why Dunkirk, I think the simplicity of that, telling that story that way for me like I know they're all getting off the beach. I know the story of Normandy. And whereas the stakes might not be as high for me in that movie, I don't think it necessarily matters because no one's just trying to tell you a cool, uh, trying to show you a cool version of this event, if anything. I think part part of what's happening here is a realization is dawning on you that filmmaking is more important than the plot. Because that, that, that's what Nolan is. I mean, the, the plot of every Nolan movie, and I, I really like Christopher Nolan. Don't get me wrong here. The plot of most of these movies is, is, is fucking bananas if you start taking it apart. I don't know the names of the characters in any Christopher Nolan movie. I just wow. know the names of these Batman characters because they're fucking Batman characters. And I grew up watching the cartoon. I mean, but like if this weren't a thing that had been dissected to death, if we didn't all know who Bane was, we'd be like, oh, it's Tom Hardy in a mask, which is how we think of Tom Hardy saying vaguely flirty things in Inception or Tom Hardy as a pilot in Dunkirk. It's just the way his movies come together. Like there, there's just it, it's not something that interests him. And that's fine. It's OK to put craft and to put the feeling that a film can give you to put to put the experience ahead of, you know, the plot of character development. But but Nolan is deeply, deeply guilty of that. Did you think that Rachel was going to die in the Dark Knight? It, honestly, I, I, I did. I think that she was going to die the first time I saw it. Yeah, because that's what I'm hinting at with with Dunkirk is that like the Joker was killing people left and right. Like we saw a commissioner and a judge get killed. We for a minute, we thought Gary Oldman died and then there was stakes in that movie, which is what I'm just hinting at with Dunkirk. Is that like did the I, plot still like drew me in? Did I think that Christopher Nolan would reserve would resort to the trope of fridging as a possible motive for his characters to do the things they do? Ab absolutely, because he's a filmmaker who lives in the domain of tropes. Did I particularly think that they recast to get a far better actress from <laughs> Batman Begins to Dark Knight just to kill her off? N no, I didn't think that. But honestly, I, I, I think that that character emotionally resonates more for you than it does for me, because I, I see I see that character as window dressing and plot architecture because they need somebody to describe what a Rico case is. I mean, we have an, an assistant district attorney who's like, oh, my God, Eureka, Rico. Who? How did we not think of that before? It's uh -huh. it's, it's crazy. I mean, it, it's. It's literally like a doctor being like, oh, surgery is an option when there's a tumor. All right. You're it's, a lawyer. So there's different. Uh, well, that, that's, uh, that, that's part of it. But uh -huh. you, you want me to take this character seriously and give a shit about this character. You want to set this movie in the real world at the same time that it's in comic book land. Then treat the real world stuff with a modicum of respect and severity. I'm not saying you need to be like 
pretend that all your audience members know what Rico is. That's why you have some dumb fuck character who sits in the corner to be like, oh, what's that? And then she gets to give an explanation and explain to like a reporter or something that this is what a Rico thing is. And this is why we get to bring in all the bad guys now. But, you know, it's it's stuff like that that kind of drives me batty because it's just it's very sorry. It's just a very lazy way to create an element of suspense for your unknowing audience members by making your characters appear dumber than they would ever be in real life. Which, look, I don't disagree with anything you just said. It's solely for the perspective of the stakes that are then added to the movie, regardless. Yeah, the pressure. Exactly. But but like as, as much as I don't, whether I care about Rachel's character or not, it's solely just like people are being killed there. It's not Age of Ultron where... Like the world is at stake, but he's pushing a character off to the side. What? Quicksilver is a more important character. Quicksilver than Quicksilver was, Cause. but Quicksilver is introduced to me in one movie and then gone by the end. I have no attachment to him. My point is like the Joker in the beginning of the movie is like the bad guys are, that are breaking into that bank are killing themselves off one by one. Oh, OK. This is that kind of movie. So like the stakes are being established and that's the only Look, I, I don't mean to turn this into a Dunkirk off because I have no, it as my number six. I just in the movies that I have above it, I care about the characters a little more and the plot. I knew they were going to get off the beach. So the like while I was able to admire it, it was like, oh, I figured out what you're doing. One hour, one week, one day, whatever it was. So I was able to admire what he was doing. And thankfully, the movie's under two hours, because if this was the length of Interstellar, it might be as bad as Interstellar. So um, <laughs> we have three matches, though. Um, I also have Inception, Memento, and Batman Begins. That's my three, four, and five. The Dark Knight is my number two. I very much... And, and look, I, it's weird, because like his relationship with Ledger is well-documented. If you watch DVD bonus features and, and how much they worked on this character... It's clear a lot of the the darkness you see from the Ledger performance is coming from the director. However, I don't know how much to attribute the Ledger performance to Nolan. And a lot of the things I like about this movie are Heath Ledger. However, like the bank high scene is well put together. The fucking tunnel scene is well put together. The 18 wheeler flipping over every single thing that happens in the uh, in jail when uh, when Ledger's captured and their interrogation scene leading to the phone call, leading to the chase, like there are very well put together set pieces, which Nolan does get credit for. And it's why the Dark Knight's Knights my number two. And then it's really small and not eligible. So I'll, I'll just say the prestige is for me, I think the, the parable of all of his movies, uh, nothing gets driven home more than the last shot of the prestige and like what you're sacrificing for an audience's applause and what it takes out of you is just not ever driven home more than that movie. So I, a lot, some people might not have seen it. If you've never seen the prestige, go see it. Uh, Starring Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale, they're competing magicians. Uh, Michael Caine is in it as an on an ingenue, right? He creates mag- magic tricks, right? Mm-hmm. That's what that's called. I think so. Yes. That, sure. We'll go with that. We're going with um, that. Uh, Scarlett Johansson's in it. Uh, Rebecca Hall is in it. It's one of the bigger mind fucks of an ending I've, I've ever seen. And I almost every time I watch it, get up and applaud. 
So, um, but what you, are you going to say? You know, the one, the one thing I'll say about, about Nolan is that for some people, he's a new Stanley Kubrick, just a guy who, who changes the game tech wise and really delivers impactful stories. For me, he's perhaps, and I'm sorry, I'm just going to say it. Uh-huh. He's more of a, he's more of an upmarket Michael Bay that he's a, a wonderful showman. As you said, I mean, leaving aside the, the, the what auteur theory says about actors and who's responsible for performances and editing and everything else. I think it's fair to give Ledger an immense amount of the credit for his work here. Uh, everything else you said when you talked about the dark Knight now were about the wonderful set pieces. You talked about these three fantastic action scenes, which are mm-hmm. all timers. They're great. The tunnel scene is amazing. The, the truck flipping is glorious when the uh bat cycle does the rotation thing yes i remember my audience went nuts in the theater because it was so cool and so well done that's the shit michael bay does also and both of them don't much care about humanity and do i think that christopher nolan is a is a better craftsman of film than michael bay yes do i think he picks better projects yes do i think he's a better writer to the extent that directors have an impact on that process hell yes but he's a giant popcorn auteur who makes big satisfying things that start to crumble the more you you pick at them even interstellar which i love is one of the reasons i think that you've seen it 20 times and still have questions about how it all fits together is because inception it doesn't inception you inception meant, right okay did you said, I, you oh, said oh, interstellar oh i'm sorry I was like Whoa, brain, wait brain a minute. Break. Interstellar okay. is just bad. But okay. uh, Inception, yes, Inception, sorry, that you've seen 20 times. It's it's because it doesn't actually make sense no. at the end of the day. It is a lot of bullshit. And it's good, fun bullshit, and there's nothing wrong with bullshit. I like bullshit. Shang-Chi delighted me for two and a half hours, but it's just, we just, I, I just, I, I'm I'm at wit's end <laughs> when we're, we're putting, you know, Christopher Nolan next to Fellini or, or, Coppola or something like that. I just, I just can't get there. You, you nailed it. The popcorn aspect of his movies is, I again drove two hours just to see the new Christopher Nolan movie, sight unseen, like without having even seen anything anybody said about it. Went into it very cold, but it was like I need to see the new, the new Nolan movie. I need to see what he has done next. And yeah, you know, I'd even argue Michael Bay is better at developing characters and creating more human. Hum- uh, human-driven moments. Look, when Ben when uh, Ben Affleck says goodbye to Bruce Willis on the asteroid in the middle of space. I love that movie. I'm emotionally affected by that. I wanted to be Will Smith watching Bad Boys 2. Um, uh, yeah, the set pieces are what you're... And look, Tenet might actually be the movie that drove that home for me because once he literally says in the movie to stop thinking... I'm able to enjoy him quite literally crashing a plane into an airport. <laughs> like, all right, well, this is cool. I'll give you that. I'm, I'm not thinking anymore. You're, I have turned my brain off, which is what I do for Fast and Furious movies, Chris Nolan. Let's actually jump down real quick and just get a quick one out the way. Um, is The Dark Knight a top five Heath Ledger performance, Us? It is. Yeah, it's my number one. Just like run away. It- it's actually not. My it's not one. your number one. All it's right. My number I'm going to hand the floor over to you then. What is, uh, do you have broke back out of it? I have, I have broke back. Number okay. One. That that's actually, I, I have it number two, but I can listen to the case. Go ahead. It, look, this, this may be hot take central, but uh, Heath Ledger gave two great performances 
in his career. I wish there were more, but there are two great ones. I, I yeah. What's he, your five? That's a good question. <laughs> what are your five? The the boy it, it gets it gets rough through the uh-huh. through the next three here. I mean, I'll run through them. I, third place, I have ten things I hate about you. Which my, I think is a that's very, my number three. Also, we may have oh, the same top five. Uh, Go ahead. N- number four, I have the Patriot. I have the Patriot five. So uh, I, and then your five I'm, is. I'm not sure we're allowed to support that movie anymore, but it, eh. he's fine. And it, and my number five is I'm not there, though I can't say I feel very uh, okay. passionately about that choice. What's my number four? five is a night. A four is a Knight's Tale. Ah, okay. Yeah. That's, that's he was like thing. still young. He was. Yeah. I think in an alternate universe, he nails the Joker. He accepts his award for best supporting actor and has this career of prestige performances similar to what we got out of Christian Bale. And it's like, we are taking you seriously now because you can do that. And it's a real shame what happened to him. And as a result, it adds to his legacy, what his last performance we remember is, but also is a tragedy that it is his last performance, you know? Yeah, there's a there's a heavy James Dean vibe to this that there, there's a real sense of what could have been. And look, he, he's a talented guy. I, I really, really, really don't like the movie The Four Feathers, but he's he's good in it. You can see the talent there. There's moments of actual dramatic heft around the trash fire that's otherwise that movie. Ned Kelly, it's a little crime drama, an Australian crime drama with Orlando Bloom. That's a pretty good movie. Like he's he's pretty good in that. You can see it, but he's not working. And look, not not every actor can tap blood from a stone and make magic. It, it's a collaborative process. Directors are a huge part of it. Editors, writers, it all comes together. It's clear that Ledger needs good people around him to do his best work. And you can see it when he's around a director like Angley or a director like Christopher Nolan or a director like Todd Haynes. He's just much better. But I, I think a lot of the, the tragedy of his early career is that it's spent on just a lot of of stuff. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of disposable, and I hate I hate using that terminology for it. But it, it, it's basically content. Uh, before we used content the way we do now, it's just it's time filling, profit seeking stuff that just doesn't it doesn't really hold up in any meaningful way. And it, it's just it is because I, I it I totally agree with what you're saying. It, it's his moment of ascension, uh, his moment to serious leading man status, and it's it's sadly snatched away. Like you could see a world where like he went from broke back to Joker to the Dark Knight, then he's in a PTA movie, then Scorsese taps him, and then it's like the the career path is laid out for us, and and uh, that's the, that's the real tragedy of again of his career. So I think Jake Gyllenhaal is a perfect comp mm-hmm. of someone who did a bunch of paycheck ish movies to get his name out there early and then went and worked with every weird director doing whatever the fuck he wanted for the next 10 years. And uh, look, some of it's great. Some of it's less so. And the popcorn Avenue, once it's opened, it's always there. Hall can go do Spider-Man, get a nice big paycheck and support going and making four more movies that nobody's ever going to see. Bingo. You want to know how I got these scars? My father was a drinker and a fiend. And one night, he goes off crazier than usual. Mommy gets the kitchen knife to defend herself. He doesn't like that. Not one bit. So, me watching, he 
takes the knife to her, laughing while he does it. He turns to me and he says, why so serious? He comes at me with the knife. Why so serious? He sticks the blade in my mouth. Let's put a smile on that face. And... Why so serious? Is The Dark Knight a top five Christian Bale performance? So, let me... Let me say first that Christian Bale is one of my favorite actors. I think he commits to roles in ways that I've never seen anybody. I don't see anybody else commit to. And that I'm very high on him in my personal pantheon. Where do you stand? Boy, are we going to... We're going to disagree on this? You don't think Christian Bale's a good actor? I actually think Christian Bale is very frequently a terrible actor. Really? I oh, Chris, wow. You don't think he's I like think, disappeared into so many of his roles? I, I actually think Christian Bale is the one of the worst over actors of this entire generation. Wow. Okay. I think, so look, I think sometimes he's very, very good. Okay. Don't get me wrong. But I think he's better when he's more muted and playing at a human scale. I, I think that I, I'm sure it's going to come up on your list. Spoiler, it's not on mine. But Dickie Eklund is a pretty good example of it, I think that is one of the worst performances to ever win an Oscar. I think it's borderline like Cuba Gooding Jr. level. I could see your literally whoa, twitching whoa, right now. Whoa, Cuba, you don't think if, if uh, you watch I, he, the fighter, if you watch the documentary, it's on YouTube right now that they are filming in the movie The Fighter about Dickie Eklund, and you then go watch the Christian Bale thing, all he's done is take every single cliched trope about scratchy, twitchy drug addicts, amped it up to 11 and called it a great performance. He is a he, he's more of a performer than an actor. He would rather lose 80 pounds to play the machinist than actually play a fucking human being. And really, I, I just I, I the cult around Christian Bale because, oh, he's method. And oh, wow, that's so crazy is breaking my brain. The fact that he just treated everyone like shit around him because wow, that's, he was that's, John, that's, that's no, I don't, real, I don't yeah. care, I don't care, but I don't care, I don't, I don't actually care. Just talking about him as a performer. Uh-huh. The fact that he treats Terminator Salvation, which is one of the worst blockbusters of the last fifty fucking years, mm. as the sort of thing where he has to be a, a a method future soldier, it's farce. He is what you mentioned, Tropic Thunder before. He's what they're making fun of. And you know what the best part of it or the worst part of it, take it as you want. It's the dichotomy of this performance in this movie itself. When he is playing a human being, when he is playing Bruce Wayne, he's pretty good in this movie. When he is playing Batman, he is fucking embarrassing. Everybody has made fun of the Batman voice in this movie. I'm not going to degrade myself by trying to do it right now. Everyone everyone has made fun of it because it's fucking stupid. It is horrible. It is embarrassing. And it takes away from other things about this movie that are effective. Um, what the rant you just went on is why I wanted to do this podcast with you. Um, I disagree, but um, <laughs> and that's what's fun about it. That's what's fun about this is that I had no idea you felt this way about Christian Bale. Um, I tend to look at it more from like the rant he did during Terminator Salvation 
yes, inexcusable. Um, that movie also inexcusable. Uh, I have you, tend- seen harsh, have you seen Harsh Times? I'm just curious. No, I haven't. Oh boy, is it bad? It's David it's Ayer, bad. the guy who did Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. I mean, that. that sorry. No, you're you good. Go. You go. You go. I, I, I just wanna, like, I want to hear your response. I'm sorry. I just no, no, no. I don't. I, I tend to look at Christian Bale as like the version of Joaquin Phoenix that we don't like. You know, the the very yes, method and pretentious. But I tend to like his performances and the work he does, not just as an actor, but that he does to his body and his diet. That's commitment to the role, and it's. You know, I'd probably be pretty pissed off and easily angered, too, if I haven't eaten anything for the most recent role. But now I'm then in my next role having to overeat so I can play Dick Cheney. You know, Um, I respect his commitment to the roles that he's done. And I mean, shit, I think we might actually agree about the bat because, look, the Dark Knight is not on my list for top five bail performances. Uh I think Batman be- Batman Begins is though because I think and this might be a, a theme for the rest of the pod I don't think the Batman scenes in this movie are all that great I think the Joker scenes are incredible and the scenes that have the Joker making Batman do stuff there's one scene I really like bailing in this movie and it's when uh, Coleman Reese has tried to uh, unleash the uh, pull the rabbit out of it uh, what am I trying to say it's pull the mask off of Batman um and then the Joker threatens to blow up a hospital and then Bale saves him by taking the Lamborghini and getting in front of the truck. And when Gordon comes around and is like, it's Bruce Wayne, isn't it? And he just plays dumb. Like, oh, that was a brave thing. You did what? Try and get the light. Like, you don't know who's in it. Why? Who? Uh, and then how he plays that off of just like ignorant billionaire that that to me was like the one time that is like, oh, wow, that that's actually really well done. The rest is kind of like moping and trying to play Batman rather than be Batman like we get in Batman Begins. So I overall his career, I we just different perspectives, which is why I love this pod. Um, but, you know, as far as this movie goes, we do agree. Um, what is goddamn your top five bail performances then? Let me say, I agree with you on Batman Begins. It's definitely Bale's best performance in the role mm-hmm. because it's the movie where he plays Bruce Wayne the most and yes. Batman the least. So he actually gets to be a human. My One of my favorite moments in Dark Knight, it's a small moment, but it speaks to where I think his skill set is better. Christian Bale is really good at being a smarmy prick. It comes very naturally to him. And the scene where he and the prima ballerina are at dinner with Eckhart and Hall is fantastic. The smug way he talks about how one party with his friends mm-hmm. and you won't need to worry about campaigning for the next few years. It's really, I think that is where a human scale person where Bale's skill set best resides. So my, my top five, and boy, is this going to be deeply <laughs> unpopular. But I'm going to run through it and then let, let's let's break it down. We got first place, 310 to Yuma. We okay. got second place, American Psycho. My number one. Okay. So, all right. We can agree okay. there. Third place, Ford versus Ferrari. My number four. All right. Yeah. Fourth place, American Hustle. And Not on my pl- list. Fifth place, the tragically unseen by anyone, Hostels. Oh, that's a really good movie. I had, be- I had below. It's like seven or eight, but like... 
Yeah, it's a very good movie. Um, I have the fighter at number four. So our number three uh, ahead of Ford v Ferrari. Um, I actually tend to like his Decky Eklund performance, although rewatching it, you may make me go watch this documentary that changes everything. But um, yeah, I tend to like him and uh, literally everybody in that movie. Uh, the only other ones that you didn't see, the only one, other one we haven't talked about. I have Batman Begins at my number five. And then Vice, I are you someone that hates Vice? Oh, oh yeah. Okay, I, really, I know that that movie I, well, actually, is controversial. I, I hate him in it. I kind of really? like. Really, I kind of like some of the movie. I, I think see, I've heard it, the exact opposite that they love Bale, but the rest of the movie, I don't want to ever empathize with Dick Cheney. I, I don't. I don't find it to be a very empathetic performance. I mean, I agree. It's why Golden I like the movie. When he, when he won the Golden Globe, he thanked Satan yeah. for inspiring his performance. <laughs> that might be the best thing he's ever done in his career. Is oh, that God. speech? But. No, look, I, I think that Christian Bale has has skills. I think he has things he's good at. We both came in hard on American Psycho because American mm-hmm. Psycho, that that is perfect. This narcissistic prick who watches himself in the mirror while he fucks prostitutes. It's fucking perfect. Yeah, that's the ego of the guy who needs to like berate the light technician on a fucking Terminator movie directed by a guy whose name is Mick G. Like, like that's perfect. That is right in his wheelhouse. It's perfect for him. These other ones are the things I think that are on my list where he plays at the most human scale. He's a human in American hustle. He's a human in Ford versus Ferrari and three ten to Yuma, which is very much underseen, but I hope that maybe people will go back and embrace it a little more because James Mangold is the director and he's directing the new Indiana Jones. He did Logan mm-hmm. Ford versus Ferrari. It seems like folks are, are, picking up on how good he's been for a very, very long time it is a fucking great Western. It's this small, it's about a, a father um, trying to protect his son. It's just really good stuff. Him. It's one of the Russell Crowe's best late career performances. It's just a very good old school style sort of filmmaking. And, and Bale is just great at this human scale, intense character. Damn, Christian Bale. I had no idea that of the things you hated about this movie. Well, I mean, not this movie, that Christian Bale was going to be something that... I'm a, I, I think there's good. I'm just a relative hater. I, I wonder... <laughs> I, I, I'm really curious how method, how he's going to be method to play the God Butcher in Thor 4. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't even know how you be method for that, but let's see. We'll see. I, I, so, wait, so to wrap up on Vice, like... You don't like him as Dick Cheney in that? No, I think he's terrible. I think it's the most scenery chewing, okay. hammy, smacking the lips performance he's ever given. It's ridiculous. It's utterly divorced from any. And I know that his point is that Dick Cheney has humanity or has no humanity, but it's utterly divorced from any effort to try to contextualize. I, I look, I, I didn't love Bombshell or anything like that, but, uh-huh. but Charlize manages to sort of get into the headspace of this horrible fucking person and at least bring to life the fact that everybody has layers and nobody is a hundred percent pure evil or a hundred percent pure good. And the vice performance is just a, it's a super villain uh, existing in the realm of humanity. Wow. This is why I love movies because people (laughs) can watch the same movie and have two completely different perspectives of it. I think he nails it and disappears into the role like he has in many others. He, he so. does disappear into the role. 
I just I, don't know what that role is. You still, I think he becomes. So the thing is, during the election, but not even the election, during the month after when apparently the election was still going on, um, I <laughs> went and rewatched old clips of like big historical moments, whether it be debates or confirmations at the, the what used to be the normal thing we celebrated on January 6th. Um, I went back and watched it and like Dick Cheney confirming um, uh, his reelection in uh, 04 uh, comes up and the debate where he uh, goes after John Edwards. Um, yeah. Christian Bale nailed it. He's as menacing. He like transforms into that guy where it's like, God damn, you're charismatic, but God damn, I, you might have some evil behind there too. So. <laughs> All right. We got to move on. Aaron Eckhart. Is this a top five Aaron Eckhart performance? Can I just read off the people Oof. that Aaron Eckhart has worked with? Because it's yeah. actually a pretty impressive. He's never been good as a leading man, I don't think, except once. Except once. And meanwhile, he's been with Morgan Freeman, Gerard Butler, Julia Roberts, um, Tom Hanks, uh, Tommy Lee Jones, Catherine Zeta-Jones, uh Jennifer Aniston, the list that he's been the co-star of. of Nicole the, Kidman. Nicole, like the list keeps going on and on. And yet, like, he's just like perfect. He's found his role. Like we even say Christian Bale and Heath Ledger. And for some reason, if you just ascend him one up, his movies are complete dog shit. Like the Frankenstein movie <laughs> is bad, <laughs> you know? And yet when you put him as he's the perfect Pippin to to be in your roster. He does not need to be anything more than Scottie Pippen. He might only even need to be Chris Bosh, but that's at least when I looked at his filmography to do this list, how I perceived Aaron Eckhart. What about you? Uh, he's perhaps more my my Luke Longley or my Tony Kukoc. Okay, my, so further down. So Scottie like he's your Ron Harper or your Grant or Horace or Grant. Even he, he can be my Horace Grant. That's fine. Um, uh, look, he, he made my list. There he got point. We get we get points yeah, for the, the dark, dark night, night gets points. <laughs> I, I I will I'll save my overall rant about the structural problems in the last act of the Dark Knight for mm -hmm. for a category that's coming soon. But I I'll say this: the the hinge of everything that doesn't work about the back half of the Dark Knight is me not buying at all in any way the transition from Harvey Dent, White Knight of Gotham, to Two-Face, hokey comic book character version with a scratched up coin. Mm, I don't buy it. Okay. I buy nothing about the transition. I buy nothing about him blaming Batman or Gordon before the Joker. I blame nothing about the guy whose ethos was make your own luck and having a trick coin to do that. Then transitioning over. I think they won from a screenwriting nerd perspective, kind of missed the point. But I, I don't even care about that stuff all that much. I, I just don't think that he has the gravity and the strength to make the transition to the two-faced part work. But I think the Harvey Dent stuff is really good. I really I, I think the first hour and a half or so of The Dark Knight is a fucking masterpiece. And I think he is spectacular in it. I think he fits in perfectly through all of that. He's third place for it's it's my third place Aaron Eckhart performance. I am curious because I have one movie ahead of it. 
So I I have I'm, it in second place. What's I'm your number we one? The, we have the same number one, I imagine, which is thank you for smoking. Yes, of course. Which is very it's very easily the best performance of his career. It's Jason Reitman's best movie still. Mm-hmm. It's just it's good. It's funny. It's dark. It's cynical. I don't know why he doesn't make more movies like that. So you're number three. Uh, my number two is oh, number Rab- two. Sorry. It's Rabbit Hole, which is a I haven't to- seen it. Totally unseen indie drama with mixed reviews. It's him and Nicole Kidman. It's basically about a couple struggling with the loss of a child. I think he's very affecting in it. I, I think the movie is not as good as the two lead performers, but it's worth it's worth seeing as an actor showpiece. Your number four. My number four is a movie I also don't like, but I think he's pretty good in it. And that's bleed for this where okay. he plays, he plays miles tellers, um, uplifting boxing coach in a fat suit and a bald cap. He's actually kind of unrecognizable and he's sort of unrecognizable because he's good mm-hmm. in it too. And he, he's just been in so many very bad movies. I totally forgot. I've seen this movie, by the way, I'll put this as my number five. It doesn't matter. Cause like the list of, the math doesn't change, but I'll just make this my number five because the <laughs> this like the theme of this is like he's fine when he's your plan. You're your when he's not your starter, where he's not your A or your B. But if he's in, he's like perfectly being a supporting character that doesn't have a lot to do. But that's what he does have to do will be very good. Um, yeah, he's really good in Bleed for This is like a really small role. I, so if that's my number five, my only other one is Olympus has fallen, which I don't even necessarily love because I think White House Down is better uh, crappy blockbuster. The White House is under attack movie. How that movie's on like its third installment is kind of wild also because I didn't know those movies made money. Um, What's your number five? Uh, I will say I I like that Olympus has fallen movie. It's not great, but it's it's of the like disposable disposable junk. It's perfectly good. Yes, Uh, he's I I actually that was probably my next choice um, here. And my my number five is a very, very bad movie that I would not recommend. But I think he does a good job of bringing a sort of masculine uh, sort of almost a classic Hollywood war hero leading man thing to it. And that's Battle Los Angeles. Oh, I've seen it, but it's been a while since I've seen it. So I didn't have it on there. Don't don't. Yeah, I remember being very bored. Yeah, he's but he's pretty good. It's basically okay. Black Hawk Down for an alien invasion. And it, it's way worse than that. That's a great elevator pitch. And it's a way worse movie than that. But he's actually pretty good as sort of the leader of the troops on the ground. Yeah. Mother's Day is almost here and you can get her the most beautiful time tested gift around a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics or tried and true bestsellers. Movement has something she'll love. And right now you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. I was in Burma. My friends and I were working for the local government. They were trying to buy the loyalty of tribal leaders by bribing them with precious stones. But their caravans were being raided in a forest north of Rangoon by a bandit. So we went looking for the stones. But in six months, we never met anyone who traded with him. One day, I saw a child playing with a ruby the size of a tangerine. The bandit had been throwing them away. 
The next thing is Hans Zimmer. Is the top, the Dark Knight a top five Hans Zimmer score? Some men Man, I'm guessing with the theme of the show so far, it will not make your top five, but I'm willing to hear it out. Because right, Hans Zimmer, it's like him, John Williams. Who am I missing on the Mount Rushmore of composers? Everyone likes, I don't know, James Horner. Uh, I feel like Zimmer and and John Williams are A and B, though. Like, they're Jordan and, and, Jordan and, and LeBron. Uh, Morricone should be at the top of this list. Okay. Ahead of John Williams and Morricone. And then Zimmer can be in that next tier. Okay. So, but of the, the top tier, like, the GOATs considered. So, I, I almost... Yeah. I always wonder I if Hans Zimmer, if there's like 11 correct answers for this list. I, I have to say, I thought after I watched Dark Knight that it would be in there for me. And it's mm. not. And only because I spent hours on Spotify listening <laughs> to Hans Zimmer music over the last last week or so. I, I mean, my my it, it's sixth. It's just misses. Just misses it's, a, yeah. it's a really good score. I think most of his scores are just really fucking good. Um to be clear, it's my number four. So it's not like it's like top three or it's it's not like I was like, oh, how dare you? It's not that far away from where you have it also. Everyone, look, everyone listening right now who's gotten an hour plus into a Dark Knight podcast can hum the music right before every action beat in this. It, it, he has so many scores that are downright iconic that it is, uh, it, it's, it's a remarkable thing. He's probably second only to John Williams in terms of most scores that people can hum something from. But uh, all right, here's my list. Yeah, I, I I'm gonna go five to one here because one is weird. So I will say, as you go five to one, like anybody that objects to it not being on the list or not being higher on mine, like you'll hear what else is if you're not like not familiar with Hans Zimmer's filmography. I guess in this case, discography, and you'll immediately hear like, oh yeah, of course, like. These are some of the better movies, especially the better music in movies that you've ever heard. And Oz, that's a lead into you. Take it away. All right. My number five is The Lion King. My number one. Totally reasonable. Yes. Uh, my number four is The Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse no- of the Black Pearl. My number five. <laughs> so already. See? We're All right. We're, we're ending up in a good place. All right. My number three. I hate this movie. I hate it. Okay. It's, I think the sing- maybe this or Joker is the single movie we've ever most sharply disagreed about. Okay. I, I think that Man of Steel is one of the worst movies. Oh, I don't like that- this movie. I don't I like- thought you liked it. All right, good. No, good. it's Batman v Superman, the ultimate Ooh. edition that I actually think is defensible. But the, the Man of Steel, like, I, I'm out. Like, I'm out okay, of most Zack Snyder movies. Yeah. The, the Man of Steel score, however, is beautiful. Mm-hmm. It is Gorgeous. The the main sort of taking flight theme is, I think, one of the best pieces of music written for a film in the last 20 years. It's great. Uh, my number two is Gladiator. My number three. I figured that's a, an easy one. And my number one is the is the off the beaten path one. But I, I'm taking it as my literal number one score for the last I don't know, for this millennium. Uh, and that is The Last Samurai. Oh, that is out of left field. Wow. And I, I know that we, we probably shouldn't pick the white guy saves the legacy of the samurai movie uh, for yes. this anymore. I, I don't care. This, nah, the this, music is great. The music is the great. Score, it's, it's beautiful. It's also the most sort of textured and least bombastic work of all of his blockbuster things. It's just it's it's really beautiful while still having the sort of epic scope that a Hans Zimmer score mm-hmm. imparts on a movie. I, I really, even if you don't want to watch three hours of Tom Cruise 
detoxing while yelling for Saki and then romancing the wife of the samurai he kills in the movie's first scene. Uh, the score you should throw on your Spotify when you're working or something like that someday. It's so, so good. So I'm legitimately stunned. Neither of us are going to say Inception. It's fine. I, I I agree. Like, I think the, the you want to talk about parody now, Bale's in, in Batman voice got made fun of over and over the wham of <laughs> inception i think has also been made fun of so the only thing that you said that uh, that you that we haven't said that's on my list so i'll just go from one to five now lion king is my one um the iron giant is my oh. number two and it's when we ever do animated movies the iron giant will come up because un- unreal movie that is um, we agree on something yay finally um Gladiators, my three, the dark Knight ends up being my number four. Um, I tend to think, especially how it complements some of the more dramatic elements of the movie, the interrogation scene with Batman and Joker um, is in unreal. And it's only the, the, the uh, intensity of that scene is only heightened by the score that's playing underneath. Uh, so I have the dark Knight as my four and then pirates of the Caribbean I, you talked about humming like every time I've been on a boat, I've gone like, yes, every time I hear the uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean score, I immediately spend the next hour of my life quoting Jack Sparrow. Um, OK, let's zoom through the rest of these, although the next there's going to be some contentious ones here. Is the Dark Knight a top five DC movie? Is this where we should have the the big fight, or should that be that be at the end? You you tell I feel like me. this is at the well. What's the big fight? Because here's the big fight. Okay. Let's just get right into it. What is it? The movie's not good. <laughs> the Dark Knight is not on my top five DC movies. Okay, and, and Which let me is tell you, wild to me. Let me tell you why. Okay. It's because the last third of this movie is bad. Okay, let me hear it. I I think that there is an hour and a half of a ten out of ten movie here, and then you know, a half hour, 40 minutes, whatever the exact breakdown is of a three out of 10, a four out of 10, whatever, something like that. It's a good movie. It's a very good movie overall. The last act sucks. I mentioned the dent stuff and how Mm -hmm. it doesn't work at all for me. The emotional hinge of this movie, everything that it turns on is this boat gimmick. Will the prisoner boat blow up the normal people boat? Will the normal Mm -hmm. people boat blow up the prisoner boat? What's the morality of it all? That is almost exactly the same premise as every trap in every early Saw movie. (laughs) And the fact that this all-time great movie distills down to an emotional crux that is at the emotional level of, I don't know, the first 10 minutes of Saw 4 is ridiculous. I don't buy that gimmick for a second. I don't buy the outcome of that gimmick for a second. I get what Nolan is trying to do thematically. I get what he's trying to, what message he's trying to convey about humanity. I get that he's trying to uh, undercut the chaos engine of the Joker with all of that. It simply doesn't work for me at all narratively because you talked about the drama of Dunkirk and what was or wasn't going to happen. It was abundantly clear to me Mm -hmm. that there was no scenario whatsoever where either of those boats were ever going to blow up. It felt it feels like the most openly manipulative of all of the scenes of this movie. I I just I cannot stand it. And I've I've probably seen this movie. Look, I have the collector's (laughs) gift set right behind me. Uh I've probably seen this movie 20, 25 times in my life. 
every single time, including the first time I saw it in theaters, I've turned on this movie in the last act because that doesn't work for me. The bat sonar, cell phone, George Bush's America um, <laughs> scene doesn't work for me thematically. I don't think it comes together right. Uh-huh. I don't I don't think it, it lands on a, a point of what Nolan wants to say about Bush's America. It's much more of a wow, cool surveillance state Patriot Act and then just moves on. And I don't I, I simply I, I don't think the action works anymore in the last act. I don't think the Dent character works. And because I don't care for anything about the last act of this movie, it does not make my top five DC comics movies. Okay. I have some thoughts. So first of all, I don't even think I disagree with you about the boat scene. It's the sequence of the movie mixed in with the sonar and the breaking into the building. And you don't know who's the patients or doctors or the, the clowns, you know, like, that stuff, I, I am at that point an hour or two hours and 10 minutes into the movie. I've accepted like, OK, we're at the finale of this comic book movie. I am going to assume that these people are all going to live and the, the, the good guys are going to prevail. Um, the dent stuff that you mentioned, I guess in this this case, the, the two face stuff, um, while admitting that the bullshit of him being alive <laughs> under this circumstance is is there and it's why when people call this movie important and make me take it seriously i'm unable to in that sense with the just flat out biology that does not exist in a character like two-face being able to walk around town survive the car crash with maroney while having open skin and bone Uh, exposed have you Um, seen the faceless cat no there's a there's a it's one of those like Internet animal sensations. I guess it okay. its face like ripped off by a car or something driving by. And there's okay. a cat. You got to Google it when we finish. All there's right. a cat that is missing most of its face that is alive. So maybe I'm wrong. And there's precedent for I just breaking bad showed us if you blow some <laughs> half of someone's face off, they're alive for a matter of seconds. <laughs> and that's what happened to Harvey Dent. Um, I I accept what turns him into Two-Face as like his love for Rachel, like, like whether you accept it or not, it's like, it could just be a fact that I did. Um, and it works enough for me that like you lose the most important person in your life. You have the opportunity to snap, especially when like you've been fighting the whole time for justice against the mob against like, like to be a good person, to do things the right way to be Gotham's white knight. And then you lose the one thing that was motivating you that to keep you a good person. There probably could have been a couple more scenes showing their connection, but like we do get some of it throughout the movie. And I just accepted it, accepted it to that point in the movie that like I've done everything. Like we finally caught the Joker and I can't, I still can't trust people that I work with in my own division to do things the right way, to have the same virtue I have. You know what? fuck this. I'm I'm snapping and I'm going and doing things a different way. The Joker should be the person I'm mad at. But as he says, like, I like I'm introducing a little anarchy to it because chaos is fair. And he actually does flip the script on Harvey Dent's morals, which look, I, I admit that the whole boat scene could probably go. And it's what I was hinting at earlier. If this movie ends with 
the Joker's head out the window going down the street and it just ends there. God damn, is this a dark movie? And it's like, you know what? All no matter how hard you try, all the work you do to do the right thing may end up being useless. And that's the world that Gotham has created, which may mirror the world that existed in 2008. Um, my other question is like the DC catalog of movies for you to have five above it, let alone like, like that many above it is, is kind of shocking to me. I still have this as my number one. I, I like the, the two hours of a 10 out of 10 mixed with arguably the greatest performance I've ever seen on screen is enough for me personally to still for this specific category, put it that high. I will now just turn it over to your list. Oz. What is your one through five for DC comic book movies? My number one, uh, we're going to turn back the clock for a couple of these. My number okay. one is the original Christopher Reeve Superman. I think it's wonderful. So it, the 78. 78 Superman. Okay. That's my number one. I think it's wonderful. I think it's iconic. I think it's it's important of its era as well. I think in a, in a perhaps bad way, it sort of presages the Reagan era of feel good America and a, a move away from the complexity of what worked in early 70s cinema into the blockbuster era of the 80s. My number four, by the way. It's a, yeah. more than Star Wars even. I, I think it helped transition filmgoers and, and reposition filmgoers in terms of what they wanted from their storytelling to this new sort of pleasing blockbuster, no surprises, please, ethos that defines movies for a 15-year period. And it's because it's fucking good. There's sort of tragic collateral consequences for the industry from that movie, but it's really, really good. I think it's very effective. I, I think the lead performance is wonderful. I think the John Williams score is wonderful. Uh, Superman's my number one. Okay. Superman's my number f- my four. So we're, we're so far one for, we have, we have some crossover so far. My number two, we may as well just, just uh, I'll be our chaos engine again. Uh, Batman, the mask of the phantasm. Okay. Haven't seen it. You haven't seen it? No. It is the animated was theatrically released because they, it was going to be straight to video and they realized, oh, shit, this thing's really good. So mm-hmm. they released it in theaters. It's the animated movie spinoff of the TV show that aired all through the 90s. It's really good. It's really dark for a cartoon movie. It's really effective. It is probably the culmination of Mark Hamill's utterly great run as the Joker, who, by the way, voice actor only in this, I know, <laughs> is the second best Joker ever uh behind Heath Ledger making sure this don't want to make uh, sure there isn't another theme in this podcast Go and, ahead. And you know Batman Mask of the Phantasm has the goodness to end before there's an extra 40 minutes of sludge to pull it down uh-huh uh-huh my number three is Batman Begins my number three also which is I I've already mentioned before preferable to me as Nolan Bat movies go my number four is Oh, I'm going to duck for this one. The Suicide Squad. My number two. Oh, all right. There we yeah, go. Yeah, it's great. Fuck, I, we haven't talked about it yet. I fucking we haven't love talked that about movie. it. It's really good. It's really yeah. funny. It's just, it, it's actually kind of shockingly touching considering mm-hmm. how bad the first one is. Especially the Joel Kinnaman character is really resurrected. But Suicide Squad is really good. The James Gunn Suicide Squad, not the David Ayer Suicide Squad, lest there be any ambiguity. 
Go ahead. Last my, one. My last one is a is a straight up coin flip. I, I think Dark Knight's probably seventh. Okay. Um, my last one is a is a coin flip between two movies. One that is very important to four year old me. One that is one that is one of my favorite movies of the last two years. It's between Birds of Prey and the original Batman, and the original Batman is making the list. I know the Prince stuff ages very very poorly, but otherwise Keaton is great. There's a lot of good in that movie. I'm perhaps more excited to see Keaton back as Batman in the Flash than anything else that DC has on the horizon. I, I think that movie, few trickly elements aside, has aged very well. There would not be a Dark Knight without the success of Batman. And I don't just mean that because it put Batman as a box office thing on the map, rather because it made darkness in your comic book movies an acceptable choice. So, fine. I, I fair. I, I, I still think the Dark Knight. I, I, I think I, this is the theme of this podcast is that I will probably closer to more the common man in, in all of these. <laughs> um, and Oz with a much more informed and passionate opinion will. I still think the Dark Knight, for like you said, the two hours leading up to that third act you don't like is still unreal to me. Although, like, my only real nitpick that. I still like it still frustrates me to this day is I still just don't know why they don't just blame the Joker at the end. Like, why don't we just say the Joker killed all these people? And why does Batman have to take the fall to be the bad? Like, I've never. And it's probably like a common thing. Plus, like Gordon's like five dead, two of them cops. No, there's Maroney's dead. Bad guy. Like, we don't even know. How, <laughs> Leo, we don't even know how he died. Like, why did the cops actually care? And why can't that just be, oh, his driver crashed? Even if you do, like, like, like the cops have covered up stuff before in superhero movies. Why can't they in this movie, too? In this movie. Yeah. So, With like, Gordon's own fake death. Yeah. So, like, why does. Plus, you're also covering up that Batman killed all these people. So, why can't the Joker be the person that killed these people? And the, the five cops, if you're just saying Dent. Um, Wurtz is the one that killed Wurtz is the one like, so those two are dead Ramirez doesn't get killed he just she just gets knocked out so then where's the other uh, so anyway the math is wrong that's been been my issue with the movie <laughs> at least um, okay now we go to the Oscars is the Dark Knight the biggest best picture nomination snub of all time so the Dark Knight doesn't get nominated this year the five that do are Frost Nixon Slub Dog Billionaire which wins uh, Milk um, I'm blanking on the last two. What are the other two? Oh, Curious Case of Benjamin Button and The Reader, right? Reader, yeah. Oh, so yeah. those five get nominated for Best Picture. Um, the reason this is so highly regarded as a Best Picture snub may not be the quality of this movie, but it did get nominated for eight Oscars. And the impact of this snub was the Oscars the very next year switched to a 10 best picture format or an up to 10. Well, no, it's not even up to 10. It's a 10 best picture format uh, that they were going to make sure they nominate 10 movies. So the more popular movies are introduced and added at their ceremony because the theme of best picture nominations was that nobody was going to see these movies. Uh, did I get all of that right? Is there an element that I missed in in that? Oz? No, I th look, I think it's exactly right. I, the, the one thing I would add to it is it worked. The next year saw Avatar, District 9 and Toy Story 3 mm -hmm. all get Best Picture nominations. So it, it managed to get in movies that appeal to the common moviegoer. And then after the 
move to 10 worked, they foolishly changed it to a different preferential system that mm. came up with some random number between five and 10 based on balloting and fucked it all up. And now we only get art movies and there are no commercial movies that normal people care about that get nominated anymore. Uh, they're changing it again this year. It's still preferential balloting, but at least it's going to go back to a hard 10, which perhaps will will alleviate it a little bit. I mean, I do. Do I look what's important to me with snubs is that it's a movie that credibly could have gotten in and that there's a, an impart. There's a reason why it should have won, even if it isn't necessarily my personal preference for the win. And mm. I, I I do think that The Dark Knight is an important snub and perhaps an industry changing snub in some way, at least as the Oscars go. Uh, but it had no chance of winning. It, I don't think it would have had a snowball's chance in hell of winning. If okay. I a snowball's chance. <laughs> well done. <laughs> You're a writer. Wow. Uh, <laughs> um, I tend to look at the importance of the snub and its impact a little more. And mm-hmm. while I don't think it would have been the winner of the 2009 best picture. Um, I still tend to think that the impact of this snub changed. the. It's, it was the last straw for the industry, um, specifically this award show. And as a result, I have it on my list. I'm going to assume you do not have it on yours. I, this one, I came in thinking I would actually, okay. because I think it, it's not my favorite movie, but that's not what I'm evaluating here. I, I, it's probably sixth for me again for like the fourth time in one of these categories, but uh, my top five, just to dive into it. Mm-hmm. My now, to be five, real quick, to be yeah. clear, we're not saying like not they like, didn't win best picture. It's like even further. It wasn't even nominated not for nominated. best picture. Yes. So that's like, to be clear, we're not even saying that this movie should have won. It's just like, God damn, this should have been nominated is is the list. So go ahead. And it's not just it's my favorite movie for the year. So it should have been nominated. It's this was a movie that was important. It was well received by critics. There was a thought that it could have made it across the goal line and gotten a nomination. Uh, here's my five. Starting at number five, we have Michael Mann's masterpiece Heat, okay. which is, I think, in a lot of ways, a, a better version of The Dark Knight and a lot of what The Dark Knight's trying to do. My number four is commonly considered one of the greatest sci-fi movies of all time. And unlike, I know Blade Runner shows up on a lot of these sort of lists, not mine. My number uh, three, by the way. Blade Runner is? No, no, no. Where you're oh. going with this okay, is okay. my number three. Because yeah. Blade Runner Blade Runner flopped brutally, so it was never a real contender. Uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey mm-hmm. is my number four. My number three is perhaps my favorite sci-fi horror movie of all time, and that's Alien. Oh, wow. I didn't even consider that. Okay. It wouldn't probably wouldn't wouldn't make my list anyway, but that's a good call. Uh, my number two is a movie that has obviously been very important to a lot of people, particularly over the last year or so, as they've come to realize how ahead of its time it mm. was. Okay. And there's a credible case that it should have been nominated at the time of its release, and that's Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. My number one. It's totally, totally great number one choice. My mm-hmm. number one, I I, I actually have I'm going to put three movies out there. There could be 10 of them that go into this category. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, pick one from Psycho, Vertigo, Rear Window. Hitchcock got all of his nominations in the 40s, very early in his career. Rebecca won, and I think Foreign Correspondent, uh, Suspicion, Spellbound? Um, so also, all the also- Hitchcock movies that didn't get nominated? Not all of them. Those, okay. those, any of those three, pick one. I don't want to. I don't want to lard it up and just put three Hitchcock movies up there, or put three Kubrick movies up there that should have been nominated. 
I, I don't care which one. They're all great. I think Psycho and Vertigo and Rear Window are equally great as well-received, well-received by audiences, basically the kind of the pinnacle of what mainstream Hollywood entertainment could do throughout the sixties comes up in, in any of those movies. So let, let's for, for clarity of list purposes, I'll go with vertigo, but any of the, or you know, let's go with vertigo North by Northwest. I don't know. Any of these movies are fucking great. They all should have been nominated. It's crazy that they weren't. It's crazy. Some of the movies that were winning in that era, pick, pick a Hitchcock. I, I agree. I, I actually don't have a Hitchcock movie on here, but I, you've enlightened me at least to, I, I know the thing with Hitchcock is that he never won an Oscar. Correct. Right. Which that is the bigger snub. Like I, I guess I, for this list, I specifically focused on pictures that mm-hmm. didn't get nominated. I didn't realize that the, the, the Hitchcock. I just, I just think all of those movies are special. I yeah. think all, all of those movies are in like, look, the AFI list is not my list of choice, but I think it's a pretty good list for what is the Vox Populi of the greatest movies. And I, I, I would guess, I haven't looked at it to prepare today, but I, I would guess that there are like eight Hitchcock movies on the top 100 of all time. And I'll bet most of those are in the top, like most of the ones I named are in the top 30 or so. So I'm stunned you don't have Zodiac on your five. It flopped. It's not so I, I, that you're realistically applying, like yeah, had it, no it, chance of winning. Yeah. I love Zodiac. I We, we talked about it last week. It's a masterpiece, but I, I just don't have it um as a movie that was a, a real contender okay i i'm judging the oscars with my pick at it at number five that it should have <laughs> been a real contender uh my number four is boogie nights oh that's a great choice yeah uh not nominated pta i think this was earlier in his career so it's one of those movies that in hindsight the genius was there but it wasn't recognized just yet um and then three two one 2001 a space odyssey the dark knight and then do the right thing which Look, it is ironic that in 1991, excuse me, the 1990 Oscars, uh, Spike Lee's movie loses to Driving Miss Daisy, the movie that America thought was important and fixed everything uh, that involves a road trip of a black driver and a white person. Um, then when Spike Lee finally wins an Oscar for Black Klansman, his movie loses again. It's a movie about a road trip with a black passenger and a white man that fixed racism. Um, we will never do Green Book on this podcast. Hey, Green, Green Book fixed homophobia, too. Oh, yeah. I, f- I forgot that movie's the, changed everything and now everything's fine. You wanted me. Here I am. I wanted to see what you'd do. And you didn't disappoint. You let five people die. Then you let Dent take your place. Even to a guy like me, that's cold. And why do you want to kill me? (laughs) I don't want to kill you. What would I do without you? Go back to ripping off mob dealers? No, 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 you, you complete me. Um, Okay, 2008. Is A Dark Knight a top five film of 2008? Uh, Do you... I'm going to guess it's not even in the top five. Although you really have five movies better than the dark Knight in 2008. Oh, I've, I have, I think 2008's a great year. It is a great really. year, but I, I part of like, that is because it has the dark Knight in it. I have like 12 ahead of it. Okay. So then I'll just, okay. Read your one, read your five through one with the suspense. Cause 2008 uh, was a great year for movies. I'll just toss out a few that I like that didn't make the list. The Fall, uh, The Class, Frost Nixon, Vicky Cristina Barcelona, Burn After Reading. I like Hellboy 2. 
better than the dark Knight. Bring it on. Uh, number five, Rachel getting married. <laughs> number four in Bruges. Number three, let, let the right one in. Number two, the wrestler. Number one, Wally. I mean, we have some crossover. I don't, not, not a lot, but we have some crossover. Uh, and this will, your when we do our best of the year list, that's when we'll actually get to see the difference in tastes, I think. And that you will see my difference in Oz's look, taste in just look, a second. Look at all my small talky indies in there. Well, so The Dark Knight's my number two of 2008. Uh, it, even just like looking now in 2021, when I look back to 2008, movies I've seen, movies I own, movies I go back to over and over again. Um, the Dark Knight has to be my number two personally. I mean, I've made no, uh, I, I've done a terrible job in hiding what my favorite movie of this year is in throughout my friendship with you. And now even probably through this podcast, I allege that Tropic Thunder is important. And for me, I go to any greatest comedy conversation with I'm going all in with every scene of Tropic Thunder. I get it. The Simple Jack stuff is problematic and it got the flack that it deserved, but it's not problematic. It's making fun of that stuff. But like that's but even I don't think that point of it making fun of that stuff came across enough. I think what no one saw. I am Sam. I just think what came away from that movie was a lot of people doing Simple Jack impersonations and calling People with disabilities, simple Jack, which is not what you want. What you do want is the meta commentary that Robert Downey Jr. brings to the movie of like, these are the roles that white people assume that because I'm an actor, I am able to play a black person and be fine. And to the extent where I can change the color of like the pigment of my skin that movie's so fucking funny though oh my god every element of that movie is so funny anyway i go all in with tropic thunder and i think it's it's honestly when if and when we ever do it months maybe even years from now i will just be gushing about how hard i laugh every time i see this movie um so tropic thunder is my one tropic uh, thunder is really good it was yeah. on my honorable mentions i i didn't say it because i knew you were going there mm -hmm. and i didn't want to steal your thunder also uh, the it's next, really good the next two my three and four you've already hinted at wally's my number four so I, it's not like i've done a bit of recalibration on wally because i didn't get it for a while, why a lot of people had it as like their number one Pixar movie. And now I've watched it a couple of times. It's like, oh, I get it. I'm an adult. I, I get the <laughs> I get the comments. I, I get it now. OK, yeah, that that makes sense. Um, my number three is Frost Nixon. Just I, I love the back and forth throughout the movie, the the procedural stuff leading to it. Like one of my favorite genres of movie is the investigative uh, journalism side of things. And, you know, the leading up to that, like, is perfect. The the Sam Rockwell performance. Um, I'm forgetting his name, but the guy from uh, from Succession that's in that movie and actually shows off his accent uh, in the movie um, is really great. Uh, all of the people leading up to uh, all of the scenes leading up to the final confrontation about Watergate 
is unreal. And it's one of the more rewatchable third acts that I go to on YouTube all the time. Um, uh, you're, you're Matthew McFadden is the name. You're yes, Matthew McFadden. Uh, the most underrated performance of uh, 2020 in The Assistant is Matthew McFadden. Yes, it's a small scene, but yes, absolutely. Uh, and then my number five, you did this with Hitchcock. So 2008 is a very important year for comedy for me because I was 20 years old. So I was like mature enough that I understood like, oh, I can't make those jokes anymore. But immature enough that I thought I could still laugh at them. So like Step Brothers came out this year. Forgetting Sarah Marshall came out this year. Ooh. Pineapple Express came out this year. Burn After Reading came out this year. Pick one. That's my number five. Um, and then obviously Tropic Thunder would be the top of all of those lists because it was my number one of the year. So those are my top five from 2008. Um, okay. Two more. Is the Joker in the Dark Knight a top five movie villain? And the reason we framed this this way and not like is it the top five superhero movie villain is because of how important we are told to take this movie you if you're going to compare it to all the great movies of all time it should be compared to all the great movies having said that i have it pretty high on my list so oz yeah, are we continuing yeah. with the theme okay good. hell yeah it's in there okay I, I, look as 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 logan announced each time that's the Joker part. Mm -hmm. And he's right. The Joker's great. Top five for me, very clearly. So where is it in your top five? Second place. Oh, me too. Okay. Well, we're going to have the same one and two. What's Hello, your number Clarice. one? Oh, you have Anthony. Okay. You have uh, Hannibal Lecter as your number one. I have one. Hannibal Lecter number one. Okay. I have uh, I Lecter out. Not, heck, Lecter didn't make my top five. But really? not because he's not as terrifying, but like Buffalo Bill significantly more terrifying to me in that movie actually like i do i do like the like the the hopkins performance like just from a pers an acting perspective yes i actually when i watch that movie it's the guy that actually does the kidnapping that terrifies me not yes i get it he eats someone's face too but a lot of it is like <laughs> i did this i once want to do this but the thing that actually gets done is what Buffalo Bill does. So that is my hot take about Silence of the Lambs. Um, so your number one is Hannibal Lecter. Lecter. Two is Joker. Okay. Three is Darth Vader. My number one. Reasonable. Four is Hans Gruber. Mm, just missed my... I had him on and then I thought of others and Hans Gruber misses my list. Uh, I, I Look, I love Rickman, brought comedy to villainy. It's great. And my number five, it's really hard. I debated between a couple. I'm going to go with Anton Chigurh from No Country mm. for Old Men. There's like eight that I, I think we both considered because I had Chigurh in a version of my list. I had Lecter in a version of my list. Was there any thoughts of putting Thanos in there for you? No, it wouldn't Not be. Loki would have been my first Marvel pick. Okay. And even that, I'm not even sure if that counts as a villain anymore, but Loki would have been my first Marvel. Maybe I'd just be a little more cynical in my old age, Oz, but over the last year and a half, I've thought like, damn, maybe Thanos had a point, you know, maybe we should have like, maybe, maybe a snap <laughs> of half the people should act, which is, I know, like, very dark because of what 40, we've gone through. Maybe like 40% of the people. You know, I, I look at numbers and I, no comments. Anyway, um, I I tend to because of the lead up to Thanos in the MCU and the payoff of specifically Infinity War, Thanos, I, I had to have an MCU 
the villain in here. And to be honest, I'm at the point with Loki that he's like an anti-hero. Like I actually yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of was on his side in some of these movies, especially now the TV show. Uh, the T-800 in The Terminator. Um, like Arnold, the character gets played up as like, oh, it's it's Schwarzenegger. It's, it's an action star. He's awesome. I just want to remind people in the first like early scene of that movie, the first 30 minutes of the original Terminator in 84, he goes to a suburban housewife and shoots her in the face like that. That happened. And the rest of the movie, from my perspective, was like, like, this is terrifying. This is. Like, like, like this is something to be afraid of. The stakes have never been more elevated. So the the ter- the T eight hundred particularly, it's actually more terrifying to me than the T one thousand. Um, in eighty four, it was my number four. Uh, and then look, I may have a phobia here. And mom, if you're listening, I apologize. So Oz, you know my parents are like church. They're my dad's a pastor. My mom's yeah. a pastor's wife. They have a church in Long Island. Um, maybe fifteen years ago, my mom um decided to come up with a bit for a form of ministry and outreach program um, where she'd dress up like a clown and to attract like, like, like just it, it's to draw draw attention and she'd be a clown, not knowing that her son had like a mild fear of clowns. <laughs> and like, I tolerated it. And like, I was able to be like, Oh, that's my mom. But when she would like, Oh, we're going to dress up as clowns. It's like, mom, I kind of don't like clowns. Which is why Pennywise absolutely makes my fucking top three. Um, I golly, specifically it the first one, the sewer scene, the fucking garage scene, uh, the under the bleacher scene in the sequel. Like even the Tim Curry stuff looks hokey now. I still it works. So those are my and look, the Joker ends up being two and Darth Vader might be the most in my opinion. I, I'd actually say not even a New Hope, but the Darth Vader from the final scene. In Rogue One is like, what if we gave LeBron a lightsaber, you know, or whatever, <laughs> Darth Patrick Mahomes, an athletic dude that's able to chop people up with a sword that glows. Um, yeah, I, I, those would be my five. Yeah, Bates, Norman Bates is my runner up. Oh, fuck. I didn't even consider Norman Bates. Wouldn't there's, his mom technically be the. Well, so that's the thing about this movie. And as we go into the final category, like if you're comparing it to the rest of the greatest movies ever and not just its genre, which is superhero movies, then it falls further down the list. And Look, you know it what? has a really great supporting performance that steals every scene that Heath Ledger's in, but it's a superhero movie and comparing it to those, it's probably higher, but to the rest, it's further down the list. You know what? That's what we do here though. The, the point here is to bring context to the movies that are the most beloved. And if you're the most beloved movie in your genre, we're going to talk about where you should be most beloved in the Pantheon. So the whole point is to expose the dark Knight from its comic book bubble to a serious cinema bubble and see how it holds up. So the last category, I'm very curious where you have this. Um, I think you've said five other superhero movies throughout this pod that are a fuck. If you have Hellboy two ahead of the Dark Knight, then it's ahead of uh, it probably on this list probably too. Iron Man two also. Actually. Oh wow, I actually Iron just, Iron Man also. I should. What, say, I oh okay, good. Iron Man two was dog shit. No, um, I just mean for the same year. It's like my number three comic book movie that year. Okay. Um, is the Dark Knight a top five superhero film? What are your five that you have ahead of it? 
there are there are like 17. So what are your let me rephrase this. What are your top five? Because I wonder if we're going to have I'll just get it out the way. The Dark Knight is my second greatest superhero movie. I it's, I the 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 85 percent of it that works for me still works to this day. Um, but Oz, as the point of this list, let's go five to one for you. The five greatest superhero movies of all time. I'm going to be coy about the order because I think okay. we, we, we will certainly talk about other superhero movies in the foreseeable future of this pod. And I don't want to spoil everything okay. that's to come. But I, I, I will say that each sort of bucket of comic book movies has something I prefer. I think Endgame is better than The Dark Knight. I think that Logan is better than The Dark Knight. I think okay. Batman Begins and Superman are better than The Dark Knight. I'm going to be struck down for this one. I think Kick-Ass is better than The Dark Knight. Bring it on, Internet. I love Kick-Ass, too. That's the thing. I love that movie. I, Matthew Vaughn is awesome. I love yeah, that movie. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I just there, there are an awful lot of comic book movies that I like more than The Dark Knight. It's probably 17th, 20th, somewhere in that vicinity for me as comic book movies go. So there's no point even saying a list because it's over five regardless. It's not it's not even close. Yeah. OK, um, well, it's my number two. Um, the only movie I have ahead of it is Logan and specifically Logan the noir version that's in black and white. I think one of my that like seminal moments for watching movies, I thought nothing could pass the dark night until I saw Logan. And now like the rest of my list, I'm open to movies that will one day pass it. Just again, the strength of the ledger performance is um, it's going to be higher than any other strength that a, another one of these movies has for me. Um, Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse is on my list. The incredible, yeah, mine too, hundred percent. The Incredibles is on my list. Oh yeah, good. And I yeah. have Infinity War Endgame as one movie because if Tarantino can do it, so can I. <laughs> so good. I, yeah, I, I I like all those movies better than than that, I, yeah, so. Believe me, I know. <laughs> do I really look like a guy with a plan? You know what I am? I'm a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do with one if I caught it. You know, I just do things. The mob has plans. The cops have plans. Gordon's got plans. You know, they're schemers. Schemers trying to control their little worlds. I'm not a schemer. I try to show the schemers how pathetic their attempts to control things really are. So, when I say, uh, when I say that you and your girlfriend was nothing personal, you know that I'm telling the truth. So this should be interesting. The Pantheon scale first out of 50. How many points did the Dark Knight get? So from me, the Dark Knight got 11 out of 50 points. And from you, it got 36 yes. out of 50 points, which for me, that puts it in like the 72nd percentile of the best movies ever, which if you told me it's in like top 30 percent of greatest movies of all time, I that sounds comfortable for me to say. And I'm going to guess if The Dark Knight, with everybody else putting it in the top 90%, you have it in like the bottom 20%, 22% I, to be specific of the I greatest have to movies say, ever. 
That's too I hot feel, for you. <laughs> I feel incredible. Well, I feel incredibly good about our formula mm-hmm. for this right now because this is proof of concept right here. It actually came out right. If we were to talk about the, I don't know, top 300 movies ever or something like that, and Dark Knight is on that list by consensus, mm-hmm. it's probably in the bottom 20 to 25% for me. And that's exactly where it turned out here today. And it's probably yeah. in the top, it's probably in the top third to top quarter for you. That it, it feels it feels like a just outcome to me. And look, everyone, it's not an 11 out of 50. I'm not no, no, saying no. it's a, it's not a two, also, it's, it's not a one star movie out of five. It's yeah. not what I'm saying. It's a very good movie. It's like an eight out of 10 for me, something like that. It's a very, very, very good movie. That's what I was going to ask you. What's your letterbox score for the dark? It's a, yeah, it's an eight out of 10, four stars, okay. whichever, whichever version you prefer. But it's just we're talking about greatness here. And when I look on the IMDb top 250, which is done by users, and I see that like The Godfather and Shawshank are the top two movies, and then The Dark Knight is number three, my brain just, yeah. it, it just, it, it misfires a little bit. I can't even get the words out because I don't know how to process that. I can't, I know there's a fanboy element to everything on Rotten Tomatoes. If a movie stars a woman, it's going to be docked like three points at least on its score. If, the director has said something he's not, it, there's all sorts of things that fuck up that list, but the notion that there's so much support or at least so many people so dedicated to elevating the score is, is, is mind boggling to me. I, I like anything. Goodfellas I'm sure is like on the top 50 below it. I don't understand how you can watch both of those movies and come up with the dark Knight being better than Goodfellas, unless your brain is just, unless you're the anti Scorsese and you are so invested in comic yeah. book cinema. I don't know how you get there. I agree. The the devotion to this movie is what I think has driven the narrative from it just being like if it didn't have all of these things that tell us it's important that we should take it seriously. I think our reaction to it would be a little more fun and a little more accepting of some of its flaws. And like, yeah, it's comic movie bullshit. Like all these movies have that. But because we're now comparing it to the greatest movies of all time. Um, it, it, it gets a knock from, from some of us, some more than others, but I, I still am able to see, man, like we started with Heath Ledger. It feels like we should end with Heath Ledger. The, the element of this movie that I think keeps it on this list and keeps it as high on some than others is the Joker performance. And it's what will keep bringing people back to it as well. Before we get out of here, um, before we do our plugs and, and sign off, um, we wanted to spend a minute or two acknowledging uh, some people that left the industry that were very important to the industry. Uh, I will start with Michael K. Williams, who played Omar on The Wire. He had other featured roles in Lovecraft Country or The Night Of or uh, Boardwalk Empire and several other iconic television roles. He's got a few movie credits, but I mean, the one that's always going to stick with me is uh, Omar in The Wire. And having just had a, a character, a, an actor that played um, someone in season four of The Wire on the Knicks Film School podcast and getting to know Julito McCollum, who played Naimond in that season, getting to know him a little bit, it, you know, just to, to, to relate it to, to myself a little bit, I, I felt almost as if a friend of mine lost someone close to them when I got the news that Michael K. Williams passed away and, you know, um, gone far too soon, a legacy that I just will, everybody that talks about who he was off screen 
uh, really lets you know that he transformed when he went on screen into these very sinister characters with so much charisma and, you know, just thoughts and prayers. This is family, a legacy uh, that ends far too soon and, and one that will surely affect the industry going forward. Um, Oz, your thoughts, and then you had somebody else you'd like to, to mention. Yeah, my, my one one wreck for Michael K. Williams, if you haven't seen it, is his scenes. I think it's the second to last season of Boardwalk Empire with Jeffrey Wright, who plays a sort of rival. It's a show about, you know, uh, the out al- the alcohol uh, industry during Prohibition. But uh, his scenes with Jeffrey Wright are absolutely electric. I think it might be some of the best work he ever did. And I, I would recommend tracking that down. I would also like to just spend a moment on Jean-Paul Belmondo, who is mm-hmm. a French new wave actor and probably not a name a lot of you are familiar with. He lived a fascinating life. He was actually a boxer before he became an actor. He did all of his own stunts throughout his career. He dated uh, Ursula Andress. I think he married her, uh, who was Honey Rider, the first Bond girl in Dr. No. He's sort of a, a French Brando figure, a French Humphrey Bogart sort of figure, just a man's man. And the movie that I would recommend you seek out, he's probably best known for his work with with Godard in the early French New Wave, but a, a film called Breathless. It's just, just in, incredibly uh, sort of gruff action film. Uh, he's He's really good in it. And he has this amazing sort of masculine energy that movie stars don't really have today. Uh, it's great stuff, a fantastic actor. He's been inactive for a while because of health issues, but he also passed away over the weekend. So rest in peace to him and his and best wishes to his family. Indeed. Breathless is available on HBO Max. So for those with the subscription, um, this is a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes as well. Um, I think it's, a, it's two million in admissions, but that's in France, which... For some reason, I even put together that we, in our qualifications, made the domestic box office box office here matter, which very much disqualifies anybody overseas. Um, we, Breath- one, go ahead, what's one, up? It's one of the first. Um, it's one of the first French movies that actually did decent business in the U.S. Mm-hmm. because it's it's sort of like a Hitchcockian thriller. It's really it's it's really really worth if you're going to watch an older movie. This is one worth tracking down. Good stuff, uh, Oz. Anything you'd like to plug before we get out of here? Sure. Follow me on Twitter, Oz on Movies. Uh, come to theinventionofdreams.com, which is in soft launch now and is having its sort of full launch party on October 1st. There you go. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Andrew J. Claudio. Follow the podcast at Final Review Pod on Twitter. We are also on Instagram at Final Review Pod and plenty of other stuff coming down the road. Uh, Thank you for listening. We hope you dug the show. If you did, head over to iTunes and drop a five-star rating and review. We'll be back next time. So tune in for another final review.